So a year of pursuing peace. Uh, man, the irony, <laughs> the irony of back in November when we thought this was the way to go this year and not knowing at all uh, what was coming in 2022. But we are endeavoring to be a church that does that. And that doesn't mean uh, we are passive, but it does mean that everything we do, we are seeking to pursue the way of peace. We are seeking to find peace in Jesus. We are seeking to be peacemakers in this world. We are seeking to have our souls rest peacefully in the presence of the Lord. We are seeking to live at peace, especially with our brothers and sisters and those even who we disagree with. How do we peacefully do that? As agents of God's peace, who are servants of the Prince of Peace, what does that look like, especially as we're seeing in divisive times? And so we've been talking so far about just how are we abiding in the Lord? How are we finding the peace for our souls that come from us connecting and communing with him? So there's some questions that I will keep asking asking you as we go throughout the year, what is our attitude going to be this year? Uh, what are we bringing to the table? Is our attitude in line with the fruit of the Spirit, with faith and hope and love? Uh, are we walking in something that is different than the world is walking in around us? Are we holy in that way? How are we treating other people? Are we loving our neighbor? Are we loving our enemy? Are we loving those we disagree with? Again, how do we look different than the rest of the world around us and how we are treating other people? How are we drawing near to the Lord? How are we finding that peace for our souls that can only come from him as we connect with him? Not the things we do, not the, what our circumstances would tell us, but the peace that comes from him where the Apostle Paul says, I've learned to be content no matter the circumstance. And if we're getting our sense of peace only from our circumstances, there will always be things in our circumstances to take our peace away. That's not the condition of God's peace for us. We can have a peace that surpasses understanding. What are we contributing to the world with our words, with our actions, with our social media posts, with what we are talking about at work, like what are we sowing out there as light and salt? What are our words communicating about who our God is? What are we doing again that is different than the world around us? And who are we imitating? We are imitating Jesus first and foremost, but where in our lives are there godly examples of people that we want to be more like? Are we imitating Christ as we see him in other people? Are we imitating the voices of this world on the other hand? So again, how are we different as we pursue peace. So our first series of the year we've called Connection Points, and we're talking about communing and connecting with the Lord. How are we finding that peace for our souls as we spend time with him, as we carve out time daily and set aside that time as a priority to seek him through prayer and through scripture. And we'll talk about uh, some practical things as well as we continue to go through the series. We're also going to shift the series at some point, and we're going to talk about uh, the connection points with one another. How are we connecting with one another? even in disagreement, and, and how can we do that as Christ would call us to in, in terms of our commitment to one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. So I like to bring this up uh, from time to time, and I, I don't like to be divisive, uh, but I think it's important sometimes just to know where we're at, and so we're going to take a little poll this morning and just kind of see where we're at, and no one's allowed to like quit the church over this or anything, okay? So this is, this is not that big a deal, um, but let's talk about olives for a minute. So some of us feel like olives are just like a flavorful explosion of heaven's glory. Like they're, they're just the most wonderful thing in the world. Some feel like they're little bitter pits of death that, that don't belong uh, on a table anywhere. So I'm just curious, how many people would say, yeah, I'm pro-olive, I am all in? All right, yeah, you can look around. Yeah, check it out. How many are anti-olive? Oh, dad humor from John Dyke at the back. 
So pretty evenly split. And, and we have noticed that often in families, it's pretty evenly split. So that's, uh, that's an interesting thing. Let's talk about cilantro for a moment. Cilantro is another thing where for people who love it, it's like light and refreshing. It elevates everything. It gives it just a, a light, you know, flowery sort of flavor. And then I've talked to people who say like, no, it tastes bitter. Some have told me it tastes like soap, which I don't begin to understand. Um, but let's take a poll here. How many pro cilantro people? Yeah, that's, we put it like on our hamburgers. We put it on everything. Anti-cilantro? Yeah. What's it taste like to you? overpowers everything. I feel the exact opposite. So I'm right and you're wrong. But we're trying not to divide over these things is the point. Now it gets contentious in Canada when you start talking hockey teams. Now I know some of you like American teams as your first choice of teams and not to be divisive, but you're obviously traitors to your country and to Canada's game. So we'll frame it this way on these ones. Do you like the Leafs or do you hate the Habs? Who likes the Leafs? Yeah, good. Who hates the Habs? It, it could be the same. You can do it twice. Yeah, awesome. Um, all right, current events. How many people feel... No, we're not. We won't. No, we're not going to... I'll be crucified before I leave church today. So, point being, we are fearfully and wonderfully made. Every single one of us. Fearfully and wonderfully made. Handcrafted by Almighty God in our mother's womb. Uh, Paul used the picture of we are God's masterpiece. We are his workmanship. Like we, we are where God shows off his glory and creates all of us uniquely individual as the crowning achievement of his creation. That even though uh, we are, are a little lower than the angels in terms of our power, uh, God has crowned us with glory and honor as part of his creation. Uh, we are, are beautifully and wonderfully made. And yet, at the same time, we are radically differently made from one another. And that's actually a really, really, really good thing. That we are not meant to be the same. We, we have different, like, we can't unite on olives, right? So why would we expect that we would be exactly in sync on every other little thing? And so there is room for us on the shallow examples and even the more serious examples uh, to, to recognize and actually celebrate the differences that we see in one another. Because when you start putting all of those differences together around the table, you get this really amazing, full-fleshed-out uh, picture of what humanity looks like in, in its fullness. God has not given anybody all the gifts. He has not given anybody all the perspective. He has not given anybody all the wisdom. He's designed us specifically to need one another. And so part of the great challenge, honestly, of being the church is that we need to be in a place where we, uh, where we see and respect the differences in God has made us and how God has made us. We are free to be ourselves the way he has made us, but we are also learning from those who are different than us, leaning on the gifts of others who are different than us. And so uh, as we get into 1 Corinthians 12, this is the famous body of Christ metaphor that Paul uses. A reminder as we get to our text that we do have an email address, questions at meadowbrook.ca. If you have any questions, you can shoot them over there. We'd be very happy to take the time to answer those. But let's take a look at our text then. We're in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and we're going to start in verse 12. Paul is talking to the church in Corinth, and he says, Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. 
Now, if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. But if one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. Man, application for days on that. We could camp on that for a while. The context of it specifically is spiritual gifts, talking about we're all different, differently gifted. We all bring different strengths to the table. Nobody has all the strengths or all the gifts. And so if you don't have a musical worship gift, you need to lean on Jeff as he leads the body with his musical worship gift. If you don't have a gift for working with children, someone else is going to do that, and you are blessed by their gift as you bring your gift for finances to the table or whatever the case may be. So it's this beautiful picture picture of the connection and interdependent that nature of the church that God has created. Uh, the beauty of the lines that God has set you exactly where he wants to set you. He has put you in place with gifts and strengths to be a blessing to others and a place for you to lean on the blessings and strengths of other people that you don't have. So we are specifically and uniquely and differently and wonderfully made. And, and we celebrate that and we understand that, okay, I have certain things that I bring to the table. There's other things that I don't bring to the table. And so where can I bring what God has given me, but also learn from those who are different and lean on them in the differences. And so as we talk about spiritual pathways, that is a term that you may have heard. We're talking today about specific different ways that we feel close to God, different ways that we draw near to him, different ways that we experience his presence, different ways that we commune with him and feel close to him. Not everybody feels close to God in the exact same ways. And I used to think that was weird, that everybody didn't connect with God the way that I did, the way that made the most sense to me. And then I just realized over time, as I got to know people, these people still have a close, deep relationship with Jesus. They're just doing it in a different way. They are finding different ways to connect with him and be close with him. And so there are lots of different teachings on this topic. Uh, We're going to look at some of these today, spiritual pathways. We'll take a, a couple minutes to unpack each one. So this is not an exhaustive list at all but these are just some of the main ones, different ways that people feel close to God. The justice pathway, the worship pathway, the contemplative pathway, the relational pathway, the intellectual pathway, the creation pathway, and the serving pathway. So we would say very, very crystal clearly that there is one path to God, and that is through Jesus Christ. We believe he is the only way. So we're not talking about that, just to be clear. There is one way to God, and that is through Jesus. That being said, there are 
lots of different ways to experience God. There are lots of different ways to connect with him and draw close to him in Jesus. And so all of these examples here, uh, we find some scripture to support them, people who are connecting with God in the Bible in different ways. And so I was first introduced to this many years ago uh, as I was leading worship at a retreat. It was a young adults retreat. We were up in Muskoka. I was leading worship at it. And worship has always been a place where I feel really close to the Lord, and it's always been very important to me. And so I was leading worship, and, and just nobody was into it. It was just kind of, everyone was tired and distracted, and so I am pouring my heart out, and I've done all this prep, and everyone's just kind of standing there and just, you know, and I'm like, this was a, a group that likes to worship, but they were not into it this weekend. And so Friday night happened, and no one was really into it, and Saturday morning happened, and no one was really into it. Saturday night happened, and on a retreat, that's usually like the main night where all the good stuff happens. No one was really into it, and by Sunday morning, I've had enough, and so I get up to worship on Sunday morning. It's our last session. I say, all right, let's stand to our feet and worship, and everyone went, uh. And I said, hey, Jesus died for you, and you can't even stand up for him. And they all went, and they were not really into it after that. It was not a a very loving or gracious call to worship. It was not super encouraging. And so a couple weeks later, I was out for a walk with my friend Ken. Ken had been on the retreat, and he just said, hey, like, what what was up with that? He kind of snapped at everybody. What was the deal? And he was a few years older than me, and he was a lot further in his walk with the Lord than I was. And I just said, like, oh, like, we, were, we went on that retreat to meet with God, right? Like, we were there to meet with God. And there was this worship time, and just no one was interested in meeting with God. Just, like, no one was, was there. No one was into it. And there were maybe some reasons for that, and we talked about that. But he just said, like, honestly, Chris, he's like, I don't really meet with God in worship. I like worship, and it's important, and I do it, but he's like, that's not really a main meeting spot for me. Uh, He said, my best moment of the retreat was on the Saturday afternoon when we had some free time, and I went out for a walk in the woods, and I just enjoyed God out in his creation. Like, that was where I felt closest to God on the retreat. He's like, even Sunday mornings, that's not the main thing for me. That's not where I feel closest to him. And this was like brand new information to me, that this was possible. I was a pretty new believer. Uh, I was new to all this stuff. And it just hadn't occurred to me that people might not all engage with God in the exact same way. Now, we are all called to worship, but for some people, that's going to be a real meeting place with God. We are all called to justice, but for some people, that's going to stir your soul in a way that makes you feel close to God. We're all called to relationship, but for some people, that's going to be where you really encounter God in a profound way. And so it was uh, the beginning of my eyes being open to that and learning that, you know, as a pastor, uh, we need to help people connect with God, even if it's not my personal way. We need to find ways to help you uh, learn how to feel close to God in the way that he has wired you. And so uh, all of these things we are all called to to a certain extent. So you don't get to say, well, worship's not my main way of meeting with God, therefore I don't have to do it. That's not how that works. But there will probably be two or maybe three things on this list where you go, yes, that's me. I do engage with God there. I feel close to him in that place. And then your job is on the, the areas where you don't 
is to look at the people in your life who do connect that way and learn from them and let them stretch you in some of this stuff. It might not ever be a main thing for you, but if you're not really a worship person and you don't connect with God and worship, your job is to, to look at Jeff and look at Xavier and look at Marissa and say, wow, how can I learn from them? How can I be inspired by them to go deeper in that area, which might not be my most natural thing? And we do that for all the pathways. So we're going to walk through each of them just briefly. We won't take a ton of time with each one, but we'll just briefly explain Um, And you can be thinking of where do I fit in with all these things. So the justice pathway. These are people who would say my soul feels close to God when seeking to right what is wrong. There is something about people who are wired for justice in this way where it's not just about there's a cause to fight for, but there is something about it that makes them feel alive in Jesus. There is something about it that makes them feel close to God, full of the Spirit when they're fighting for a cause, when they're fighting for the oppressed, when they are seeking to right what is wrong. In the Bible, when it talks about justice, it's almost always talking about poverty. Not every single time, but poverty is generally the justice issue that shows up in Scripture. That's not to say that there are not other areas as well. But when we hear the prophets talking about justice, it's often talking about economic injustice. And justice is not about punishment, but justice is about balancing the scale out again. Where there has been inequality, how do we bring it closer to equality? Where there has been wrong, where do we balance it out and bring it back into it? And so justice is not just about uh, you know, getting mad at something or posting about something or, or marching about something. It can include those things. The heart of justice is I'm going to offer myself as part of the solution to this problem. I am willing to sacrifice and serve and be part of this solution here. And so I remember years ago, uh, Bill Clinton talking about economic inequality around the world. And everyone's saying, like, oh, we want Africa to do better, right? We want the the third world nations to do better. We want them to be lifted up. We want them to have a better living. We want them to be financially healthier. And he was saying, that's good. That's wonderful. But then those of us who live in the first world need to realize that we will have to give up some of our lifestyle in order to raise their lifestyle up. That if you really want to raise up, you know, the the people in the sweatshops and the people who, you know, harvest our food for us and all these things, then you're going to have to pay them more. So you're going to pay more for your clothes and pay more for your food and pay more for your electronics and pay more for all these things. And that's where a lot of people go, oh, huh, hmm, do I, how much do I care about this really? Because anyone can post something and anybody can, you know, take a stand, but to actually offer yourself as part of the solution to the problem, I'm willing to sacrifice for you. I'm willing to sacrifice for the sake of justice. I'm willing to pay a price in order to balance out the scales in order to make this happen. And that's not as easy for sure. But people who are wired for justice, there is something in them that says, yes, yes, we will be agents of God to right what is wrong. The word of God says in Amos chapter 5, 24, famous verse, let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never failing stream. And that's one of the things the prophets in the scripture were often crying out for was justice. They were often correcting Israel for their lack of justice. They were often calling the people of God to do better. And so when it comes to people who are wired that way, uh, you need a cause to fight for and and hopefully a biblical one. (laughs) That would be ideal. Find a biblical cause to fight for and then go and let your soul be stirred. Let your, your spirit be fired up. Let the filling of the Holy Spirit come as 
you go and fight for the oppressed, as you go and try to balance those scales, as you find that godly cause to fight for. The prophets set a great example for us in this. Uh, in more modern examples, Martin Luther King sets a wonderful example for us in this. And Martin Luther King, man alive, like just to, to read his writings, to read his sermons, to read his letters uh, when he's in jail, you go, this is a man who out of his Christian conviction said, okay, we're going to fight racial inequality, but we're going to do it as Christ. And so like never slanders anybody, never curses anybody, you know, would criticize the problem, but he just said, you know what, we're called to love our enemies, and so if we're going to do this, we're going to do it in a way that loves our enemies. And so he would call the system evil, but he would never call the people evil. He, even the Ku Klux Klan, he had this view that said, these people are deceived and oppressed by a racist system. We're declaring war against the system, but our battle's not against flesh and blood. We're not at war against the people. We're going to fight the system that's oppressing them. And to read, just go, oh man, I am so bad at that when you're comparing yourself to someone like him. But we're going to fight for justice in a Christ-like way. And so if that's you, then yes, go. By all means, go. And what the people on the justice pathway do for the rest of us who maybe are not wired that way is they poke us with a stick. And, and often they can be a little annoying because they're constantly telling us there's a problem here that we're not paying attention to, and they need to do that. Again, that's the role of prophets in the Old Testament, is to say you are out, you are out of step with what the Lord would have you do in this area. And so justice people need to be that voice. They need to be the ones to, to point it out and spur the rest of us on to take a step, maybe, to, to partner and to participate in it. And so for those of you who are wired that way, we, I always say when I teach on this, your job is to unapologetically go. Go. Find the godly cause to fight for. Fight for it in the way of Jesus Christ. And, and let the rest of us know. Poke us with a stick if we are not paying attention to things that we need to be paying attention to. So that is the justice pathway. The worship pathway. My soul feels close to God through praise. Uh, typically meaning musical worship. My soul feels close to God there, so this would be one of mine. Uh, I know for many of you, it will be one of yours as well. There is just something about it where there is a, a drawing close to God in the worship time. And so whether it's here on a Sunday, uh, which is hugely important, or whether it's in your car, or whether it's out on a walk, or in your kitchen, uh, worship music just has a way of bringing us into an awareness of the presence of God. Uh, Jeff made reference to the scripture at the beginning. This is the King James Version of Psalm 20. To the Lord inhabits the praises of his people. And worship people say, yeah. He, like, he dwells in that place where we are worshiping him. When we come to worship, he comes to receive it. We meet with God there. Our soul is refreshed there. We are filled with the spirit there. And the psalmist gives us our, our best biblical example of this. The, the various psalmist in the book of Psalms, where they use the language like this, the Lord inhabits the praises of his people. Come, let's go meet with God in the house of the Lord. Uh, all these types of things. The psalmist is, is making worship a priority and glorifying God in everything that they do. And so we would say, of course, worship is a lifestyle. We worship with our actions. We worship with our words. It's not just about the music. And yet there is a very significant place that Scripture does put on musical worship. And so for those of you who are on the worship pathway, um, worship might be your favorite part of a Sunday morning. Like you, you, you put up with the sermon, but you are really excited about the worship. That's the best place where you're meeting with God. I hope you have a better attitude about the sermon than the way I just said that. 
So worship people serve the rest of the body by, again, kind of provoking us, pushing us to worship. To get your eyes off yourself, get your eyes off your problems, lift your eyes to Jesus, focus on him. That's what the worship pathway does for the rest of the body. Now, if the whole body were just worship people, we might spend all our time focusing on Jesus and miss the injustice that's sitting in front of us. If the injustice, or if the justice pathway were the whole body of Christ, then we might fight for a lot of causes, but never get our eyes off the earthly stuff onto Jesus. So you can see how the different parts help each other, why the body parts are needed to spur one another on in different ways. The contemplative pathway, my soul feels close to God in quiet and solitude. The contemplative tradition is a long tradition in church history. It focuses on meditation, being silent before the Lord, Lexio Divina and different scriptural practices. But these are people, tend to be introverts more than extroverts, but there is just something about being alone with God that's very important. So when Jesus says, hey, when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, block everything out, the contemplative people say, that sounds amazing. Some of us think that sounds like a nightmare, and we'll get to you in a second. The contemplative pathway, but I just to, to be quiet before the Lord, to think about the things of God, to reflect and to, to give time to that, to not feel like you always got to be talking all the time uh, or with people all the time, but just to have that time with the Lord. For contemplative people, often they won't have their, uh, their great light bulb idea revelation in the sermon on a Sunday morning. They'll have it like on a Tuesday uh, after they've had some time to reflect and think about it. And as they do that, the Lord just goes bing and brings something to mind. And so they, they love that just alone time with the Lord. And so as we, uh, you know, turn off the noise, as we sometimes turn off the worship music, turn off everything, spend some time alone with the Lord, we meet with him there. Even Jesus, Luke, 6, or Luke 5, 16, Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. And so Jesus would pray with his disciples as well, and he would pray with people in the crowd, but Jesus often, regularly, got away from it all and just spent time with the Lord by himself. And so contemplative people say, that's me. That's what I like the best. I like meeting with the Lord, often the lonely places where I can connect with him by myself. And so they, the contemplative pathway people serve the rest of the body uh, by tending to bring wisdom and depth to things. Uh, they tend to, because they are reflective, because they are thoughtful by nature, they tend to bring a perspective that has some wisdom to it, it has some depth to it. Um, they're not rushing into things, they're not charging ahead, and so they bring some of that to the rest of the body of Christ. And they remind us that there is a place for all of us uh, to be alone with the Lord sometimes. On the flip side of that is the relational pathway. My soul feels close to God when I'm with other people, so the exact opposite. That being with other people makes me feel alive. It makes me feel filled with the Spirit. Uh, I learn best when I'm with other people. So for some of you, your best Bible times are not going to be you sitting for 20 minutes with a Bible by yourself. It's going to be you talking about the Bible with somebody else. And that's going to be a much richer and profound experience. You're actually going to learn more in doing that. So it would tend to be more extroverts. If introverts probably lean towards contemplative, more extroverted people probably lean towards the relational side. And so for them, it's okay, I, I need to be in spiritual discussion with other people. I need to be in a life group. I need to be in a Bible study. I need to be in person on a Sunday morning. I need to connect with people in that way. And so just lots of room for people. Uh, tend to love people really well and, and be willing to be there for people in a, in a profound way. At the beginning of the book of Acts, as the church is being formed, Acts 2, 46, 47 says, Every day, 
Every day, not once a week, every day, the church continued to meet together in the temple courts for teaching time, for prayer time, for worship time. Also, they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And so there's daily Bible time coming as a group. There's daily prayer time coming as a group. And when that's done, they go to each other's homes and they eat together and share a meal, no doubt having more spiritual discussion. And so people on the relational end, even that might sound like a bit much, you know, like literally 24-7, but they would say, I'm more wired that way than the contemplative way, right? This is more exciting to me than withdrawing to a lonely place and praying like the contemplatives would. And so there is this place for learning together and growing together and spending that time together. And again, if that is you, then your job is to make that happen, is to to get into a life group or a study, get spiritual friends around you that you can talk about these things, have Bible discussions, have prayer times with other people. The relational pathway reminds the rest of us of how important community is. Right? This is what the church looked like at the beginning. It was not one hour a week and then you're done. It was we are learning together, we are growing together, we are doing life together, we are eating together, uh, and that is important for all of us, even if that's not our pathway. And so the relational pathway reminds us that we need to focus on loving one another, learning together, growing together in community with each other. The intellectual pathway, my soul feels close to God through study, through learning. There is something about that process that just stirs us up. And, and intellectual uh, pathway people just live for those light bulbs where you have an understanding of God that is new. Just, wow, I never read that before. It's amazing. Wow, I never learned that before. It's amazing. It has nothing to do, uh, the word intellectual can throw us off, nothing to do with our IQ levels, nothing to do with what our grades are like in school. It's just about we are wired to pursue God through this learning, through this knowledge, through this pursuit of truth and this pursuit of wisdom. So in Matthew 22, uh, where Jesus is asked about the greatest commandment, he's told to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your strength and with all your soul and with all your mind. And people on the intellectual pathway say, yes, I love the Lord with my mind. By, by, by growing in my understanding, by growing in the scriptural knowledge, by growing in, in the pursuit of wisdom, that's one of the ways that I love him, and that's one of the ways that I meet with him. So people on the intellectual pathway tend to be people, sometimes readers, uh, I would say maybe normally readers, but if you're not a reader, you can still be on this pathway, and for you it's probably podcasts or, or you know, videos or uh, you know, listening to certain sermons, whatever the case may be, but there is a very active pursuit. I am seeking to grow intentionally, and I'm going to love the Lord my God with my mind. Solomon in scripture is a great example of this. Solomon, who just lived his life in the pursuit of wisdom, in the pursuit of understanding, and not even just biblical understanding. Solomon, scripture says, was smart about everything. He was smart about animals. He was smart about how the world worked. Uh, He ran a country really well. He had good political instincts and economic ideas, and so there is just a pursuit there that says, okay, my brain is the brain that God has given me. In the name of faith, I don't need to turn off my brain. Uh, I'm going to use that, what God has given me, in order to help me pursue him ultimately. I'm going to feel close to him as we do that. And so people on the intellectual pathway spur the rest of us on by saying the pursuit of knowledge is important. And we've talked in the last couple of weeks about knowledge alone is not enough, because knowledge alone can puff us up. We have to have love there as well. But in the name 
shame of that, we also don't turn aside knowledge. And so Proverbs is constantly saying things like, pursue understanding, pursue wisdom, pursue truth. And people on the intellectual pathway say, yes, that is, that is where I meet with God. I feel close to him as I pursue all of those things that he has called us to pursue. The creation pathway, my soul feels close to God outdoors. Right? Seeing a sky full of stars, seeing the water, seeing the beach, seeing the forest, seeing the snow. Uh, there is something about it that shows me something about God. There's all these scriptures that, that use nature as a metaphor. You know, our sins are washed whiter than snow. Uh, you know, you see the snow falling today, and it reminds you of that, right? And Jesus uses a fig tree to talk about faith, and the psalmist talks about the stars in the sky and the mountains and the oceans and all of these things declaring God's glory. So people on the creation pathway really do feel close to God when they are out there experiencing him in his creation. And so we have a friend, I think I've shared this here before, Sarah and I, uh, one of Sarah's bridesmaids in our wedding, and she used to say to me, you know, anytime she was going to the beach or she'd be, you know, heading up to a cottage in northern Michigan or something, and she'd say, Chris, like just being outdoors, it's like oxygen for my soul. It's so good for my walk with God. And at the time, I thought, that is just some hippie nonsense. I thought that was, didn't make any sense to me whatsoever. It's like, God's not his creation. Like, don't, don't make an idol, right? That's like, you know, earth-hugging Mother Earth stuff. Like, don't. Um, and I regret that now and repent of that because uh, we do see it in Scripture. We see it in the psalmist and other places. There is this attitude. Psalm 19.1, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. That there are verses like this where you go, oh, the psalmist isn't glorifying the creation. He is seeing in the creation God is glorified. Creation is there. And Romans 1 says that the invisible qualities of the invisible God are made clear in his creation so that we are not with we are not able to have any excuse that even though we can't see God, we can see the creation that points to God. We can see the creation that he made that shows off his glory and shows off his power. The creation testifies that there is a creator. And so there is something for people on this pathway who, yeah, like it's not just about, uh, hey, it's nice to be out in the fresh air, which most of us probably appreciate. It's about, no, I feel stirred in my soul when I am out there. I see God. I see how creation points to him. I am, again, refilled in the Holy Spirit as I spend time out there. I always, uh, I think of Greg and Kelly Allen at this time of year because every time around February, they would have to go to Florida for two weeks. It was like a necessity. And they just loved being outside, and that was prayer time, and that was hiking time, and uh, they just couldn't make it through a whole winter without having some of that, like, I gotta get out of all this white and gray and dreary, and I need to get into the sun, I need to get to the beach, I need to get my soul refreshed as I spend time out in that creation. And so uh, people on this pathway, again, will be happy to be in the backyard. It might even be work, like working in the garden or cutting the grass or, or, or being at the beach or going for a walk, and it will be good for your soul to do that. That'll be a meeting place for you with God. And so again, unapologetically do that. Go out and make time for that. Um, they serve the rest of the body, people on the creation pathway, uh, just quite simply of reminding us of what the psalmist said and what, what Paul said in Romans, that this is all here. This creation is testifying to a creator. It's one of the clearest ways that we know there's a God, is that creation is there pointing to him. And people on the creation pathway remind us of that. Last one is serving. My soul feels close to God, helping others. 
There are people who are just wired, and often they are ones who say, I don't want to be in the spotlight. I don't want any attention on me whatsoever. I just want to be behind the scenes, and I just want to take care of practical needs. Uh, so I don't need attention. I don't need glory. I think people on this pathway are probably the ones when Paul is talking about, you know, there's kind of more modest body parts that get covered up, um, that there are those who, who just don't want to be seen. They're very happy to not be seen and, and often are very humble and very modest people. And so these are people who say, where there's a need, let me help out. Where, where there's a financial need, where there's a practical need, I will be there. And we're talked we're talk to about this often in Scripture. Here's one example, Galatians 5.13. Serve one another humbly in love. And people on the pathway say, I do. I do do that. And I want to do that. And that is who I want to be. And as I serve practically, I come alive in Jesus. As I serve practically, I feel close to God. I feel just the, I am in step with the foot-washing Savior who gave his life to serve other people. I am following in his example, and I am feeling alive as I do so. And so uh, people on the serving pathway, again, uh, can sometimes be hard to pick out because they don't show a lot of attention. They don't, they don't draw attention to themselves. They're very happy to be anonymous a lot of the time. But again, they push the rest of the body of Christ to remember that we are called to be the hands and feet of Jesus. We are called to wash feet as followers of Jesus. And so if this isn't our pathway, our job is to find people who are on that pathway and say, okay, how can I imitate that person as they follow Jesus in the foot washing path of Jesus Christ? Come on up, Jeff. We're just about ready to wrap up. So that is all of them in a, a nutshell. Um, you can find stuff online if you want to go deeper in this stuff. Uh, the justice pathway, the worship pathway, the contemplative pathway, the relational pathway, the intellectual pathway, the creation pathway, and the serving pathway. So I think probably most, if not all of us, can find ourselves in one or two or, or maybe even more of those. Um, I find as people get older, they start to feel like I can actually see myself in more than I used to. I'm stretching beyond uh, where here I was in these two and I'm still in those two, but now I've added a couple more that I'm growing in. I'll also add to this that these are not the only ways, of course. I think these are some of the main ones, but I've talked to people as I've taught of this who said, you know what, when I'm you know, creating something, when I'm doing my art or, or when I'm creating something, I feel really close to God there. And I go, well, yeah, that makes sense. God is a creator, and so he is creative. And so it would make sense that for those of us who are creative, that could be a place where we could meet with God. Some people say, I feel alive on the kids' ministry pathway or the youth ministry pathway. Pouring into the next generation makes me feel alive. And, and again, if that's you, unapologetically go for it. Pursue it. Run after it. Whatever your gift is, wherever you feel close to God, uh, let that be a place where you meet with him. Let that be a place where you are praying. Let that be a place where you're engaging with scripture. If you're a creation person, make that your prayer time out in his creation and let that be where you're meeting with him. If you're a justice person, gather people around you who feel the same way. Let that be a place where you open the scriptures together and engage in study of God's word together. Let all of these things become a place where we can meet with God. And again, to unapologetically make them a priority as well. If you're a worship person, make that a priority to carve out worship time every day. If you're a relational person, make relationships a priority. Make those spiritual conversations a priority. Carve out those times. And so to, to meet with God in the way that he's wired us, but also 
to let ourselves be stretched beyond that by those who are different than us, by appreciating what the other body parts bring to the body with their gifts, the gifts that God has given them, so we can learn from one another and allow ourselves to grow and be stretched, even if things are not our main pathway. We can still be inspired by our brothers and sisters who are wired differently. So as we talk about pursuing peace, again, the first part of the year we've just been focusing on Uh, the connection with God. Where are we connecting with God? There is peace that happens when we are filled with the Holy Spirit. There is peace that happens when we commune with God. There is peace that happens when we draw near to him and he draws near, near to us. The spiritual pathways are one of the ways that we can connect and commune with God. So go and do that. Go and make that a priority. Go meet with God in these places. Let your soul be refreshed. Be refilled with the Holy Spirit as you do. Uh, Be the gift that God has made you to be to the rest of the body of Christ. Would you stand to your feet with me, please? Uh, Whether you're on the worship pathway or not, we're going to spend some time in worship this morning. So this will either be uh, a place of profound encounter for you this morning, or it's going to be a place where you're stretching yourself. But either way, it is a good thing, because as we always say, he is worthy of our worship no matter what. And so we want to worship him before we go.